0: Mangalam Guru So today of most auspicious day. I think the hundred and fifty-third anniversary of the advent of Swami Vivekananda. This morning we did some puja to Swamiji. Oh okay, what did you uh, yeah, today. Saptami, um, or either paush Saptami or uh, mad me uh, according to whether you're follow from Amabash or Purnima. Alright, so I think I think uh, I think it's listed as paush Panchami, but that we're celebrating as a ready magmas. Mm-hmm. I think a little detail, but date the same. And so we we're we we had a, a elaborate uh, long puja today in Homa, and it was a long day. We thinking, oh, really so much puja, we don't we can skip satsang tonight. Then I'm thinking that makes then 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 we had a very nice birthday cake for Swamiji, and that the, the most important part of Vivekananda's birthday shouldn't be birthday cake. <laughs> should be some <laughs> teaching to some of Swami Vivekananda. <laughs> so we should maybe think something, you know. He didn't just come to give people an excuse for birthday cake. And he made a statement one time. He says that in the future, after I leave my body, uh, if you put my picture on the shrine, and you burn incense in front of my face, uh, my ghost will come behind you and break your neck. <laughs> right, right? So, so every time we joke, every time we do puja, we're like, Swamiji, please. <laughs> I know you don't like this, but it's tradition. You tolerate a little bit, only it last a few minutes. <laughs> right, And of course... He was. he Sharmiji was had his own personality and, and humor. I think the point of the whole thing is: that this is what happens. We take some great mind like Swami Vivekananda, uh, and pretty soon we have his picture. We do We worship that person. But he said, "Don't worship me. Instead, wake up. Right? Go out. Either do good, help others, do spiritual practice, awaken yourself. Instead of doing anything," he said. Right? We put his picture up and do puja to him. Right, this is what happens. Right, uh, very easily with some ideal. We, we idealize something so much that we lose the ideal by making it such a, a glorious ideal. Everybody all Vivekananda is like we have pictures, all the pictures of Vivekananda like this, yeah. this heroic pose. Right, right. Uh, 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 I'm not sure if he'd be happy with his new his new incarnation as a poster. Right, rather than an actual living force. You know, but from what tremendous <coughs> he's, he he he. Uh, he made a statement that what I've given, it will take 10,000 years to understand, right? And, and so what did he give? We have, right now, we have traditionally there's eight volumes of complete works on Vivekananda. Now a ninth volume has come the last five, six years, uh, some stuff that had not been published in the earlier form. So that's nine volumes, mostly his, his talks, based upon his talks, right? Some letters, some like this, correspondences. Letters are brilliant, his poetry is brilliant. But all of his talks, if, if you think about them, they're amazing, and he basically doesn't repeat himself in nine volumes, and he never, and he spoke without notes. He just, it, I can't, I mean, I can do it, but I just talk in circles. If you hear, if you, you can listen to my podcast. I said the same thing. I've said the same thing for, for five and a half years now. Every week, I say roughly a version of the same thing. So I made you said something different every talk, almost, mm-hmm. right, uh, without notes, right, and and. So you think just the intellectual contribution is immense. What else he did, what he found, what he inspired, what he did is really incredible. But just the, the volume of intellectual thought is overwhelming. And that Swami Chaitananda was mentioning from the, from the opening talk at the Parliament of Religions in 18, 1896. 1896, right? Yeah. Eight, 19, 1893. 1893, <laughs> I think. 18, 1893, right, to when he died, I think he died nine years later, I think. That means his public life was nine years, right? That means the complete works are nine years. A few letters before, basically they're nine years, right? Of that, four or five years were sick, where he was basically, I mean, all convalescent, he had very bad health, right? That means three, three, four, four and a half years was his actual public life. So his nine volumes of all original thought, life transforming thought, is in three or four years. Really over what you think, what a powerful uh, inspiration. <clears throat> but he would say actually later, uh, he said I think in the in the in the inspired talks, uh, he made statements that at night I hear a voice in my ear telling me so many things I don't know. Hmm. Right? He said, this is Sri Ramakrishna's voice. And then when I get up to speak, I repeat, I just in my own words I speak that. Wow. So he was not, he was where that information was coming from is a bigger question. Right? <clears throat> and so of course we could say, Oh he's it's coming from Sri Ramakrishna. Everybody knows Vivekananda in this country not everybody knows not everybody knows Vivekananda either anymore, but you uh, 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 Sri Ramakrishna. But Sri Ramakrishna understood that Swami Vivekananda would be his message. sometimes when we do puja, you always have you have the deity, you have his Shakti and his vahana. You always you have Shiva, Parvati and Nandi. You have Vishnu, Lakshmi and Garuda. Like this, right? I was, I was thinking, this, the, we call the Trimurti. Our, our our 3 trinity, we have Sri Ramakrishna, Holy Mother, and Vivekananda. And I think a very similar, They always worship together. Right? Sri Ramakrishna, his consort, sharada Devi, and his Vahana, his messenger, his carrier. Hmm. Right. a unique, unique thing. It's not the full message of Sri Ramakrishna, but he brought a very important aspect of Sri Ramakrishna's message. He carried it throughout the world, of course. Um, and very interesting. So we be careful if we wave incense in front of his nose. <clears throat> Swami Sarvadevananda he told a very interesting I do not know the history of now you see if you go to the Ramakrishna Mission in people's homes you have Sri Ramakrishna and Vivekananda they are on the same level right? during Swami's life it was only Sri Ramakrishna on the shrine even Holy Mother was not on the shrine she was living in the tradition in Bengal especially you don't put living people on the shrine right? after they die sometimes the Guru gets put on the side somewhere but the guru's not, even Guru's picture is not put on the shrine while they are alive it's common in Bengal like that Orthodox people at the time, and so uh, uh, even Holy Mother's picture wasn't there. She put her picture in a few places, two or three ashrams, but other than that, but in Benares, when Swami Vivekananda died, Swami, I think it was Swami Shivananda Mahapurushmarad, he was so mm-hmm. moved, he went to his room, got a picture of Swami Vivekananda, came and put it on the shrine next to Sri Ramakrishna, and this created a big scandal. Mm-hmm. right? It's like not, all, Everybody was at that ashram in Benares because of Vivekananda, but don't put his picture on the shrine, not the same level Ramakrishna we think is Avatar. Mm-hmm. Right. He's Brahma and Krishna, I mean, he's Kali, that's he a different thing. So there became a couple of different camps. Uh-huh. So but you, it's like we should, we, uh, no, no, Mahapurushmaraj is a direct disciple of Sri Ramakrishna. You don't adjust, whatever he says is fine. This, this, this is wrong. It's, I mean, we can't, and they couldn't correct him because he was a direct disciple of Sri Ramakrishna. Right. And, and, uh, and at that time, Mahapurushmaraj is known as being very grave. When he became president, he became very soft. But he was, everybody was scared of him, so nobody would dare correct him. That's so they valid. figured, what do you do? So they wrote that the president of the Advaita Ashram, uh, of the, um, the Amakrish Mishin Ashram in Benares, wrote a letter to Holy Mother, right, and told Mahapurush Maharaj to put Swami picture on the same level of talk work, Right, and waiting, because if, if they get a, a let note from Holy Mother, then they can... Maharaj, sorry, Ma, Mother said. <laughs> <coughs> Mahapurush Maharaj also accepted what Holy Mother said, right? And Holy Mother wrote back through somebody, and she, she dictates letters usually, and everybody wrote back. And Swami Vivekananda says, of course, in the tradition that he read the first, you know, my, my dear son, please accept my love and blessings. And it's like, he says, he said, it is wrong that Swami, that Mahapurish has put Swami Vivekananda's picture on the same level of Thakur. So he goes, ah, aha, now we have proof. We can use this to get, to, to stop the controversy. We can use this for, against Mahapurish Not against, but, you know, the position. <clears throat> he says, if Thakur was alive, he would have carried swamiji's picture on his head oh. right he would put above his own picture how much he loved for him so then yeah. that's actually the tradition where swamiji's picture got put by takwar's own holy mother's own example how much love so swamiji is not a normal person <laughs> if ramakrishna is not a normal person swamiji is not a normal person <laughs> and and <clears throat> one thing we know for certain is ramakrishna is not a normal person <laughs> so logically <clears throat> So, that's a great story. Very yeah, he told sitting here, I mean, so I'm thinking that story. Got oh, he was this temple. here? Hmm? He this yeah, temple? he comes side to Tanya. Sami from the Vedanta yeah. uh-huh. Society. Very wonderful sadhu. Yeah. Okay. yeah um some uh, sometime when he's visiting there's a Ramakrishna mission here in Tabuko. Uh-huh. So sometime when he speaks there he'll stop here and give him satsang. Uh, we always ask him. He's such an inspiring person. So I was thinking, okay, so what Swami Vivekananda's message, he made a statement, a very big statement of his. It says, he told this is my boy, he's talking to one devotee. He says, the one that Ramakrishna called Kali. Right? That one, that thing, that, that entity, that being, that reality that Ramakrishna addressed as Kali. Whatever that is, Brahman, God, or whatever, but the talk were called Kali. Right? He says. I feel that that's completely taken over my life. It makes me do what I do. He says, it came after me, it came over me, a few days before Thakur left his body. Something happened, we know there's, if you know the life of Sri, Ramak- Sri Ramakrishna, there was some special transference of power before Sri Ramakrishna left his body to Swami. Uh, but he says, now, he says, that is why I'm working like an animal. I do i know, I have the exact quote in my head. Uh, uh, is it why I work tirelessly without, without consideration of my body or anything. He's like, his, his main work, so the one making him work, the one making him come to America, will make him preach, will make him do what he did everywhere, is the one that Sri Ramakrishna called Kali. So, his message, so that means the one who made him come to America and give his opening talks, the most famous of the talks, uh, was Ma herself speaking through. And so, when Swamiji came to the Parliament of Religions in 18. 18- Ninety-three, not eighteen ninety-six, <coughs> eighteen ninety-three. He came not really invited, right? The king of um of, of um, uh, uh, Ram Ramnat, He was supposed to come. He was a scholar and of course a king. He was, but he met and and was so impressed. He sent Swamiji. He gave Swamiji wow. a ticket. And Swami, Swamiji, his he did not want to, He didn't know of coming to America was the right thing. Huh. Right? He was actually nervous. He says, "Well, maybe this is, is this." I mean. The king's sending me, but I but I mean, I want to serve India and all of a sudden the king gave me a ticket to America. Right. So he had a ticket in hand, right? So he threw it away. He said if wa- if the Dubai, if Kali and Takur want me to go, the ticket would come to my hand again. Right? And so his the boy he had inspired lots of boys in Chennai. They gathered and they collected the money and they bought him a ticket. So we say, Oh, the king of Ramna sent a ticket, but actually that ticket was thrown in the ocean. Right, so it's like that. So because he was actually torn, it's, it, am I supposed to go to America? He wasn't cer- certain. Even here, if you read his letters, he was never certain if he was doing the right work here, because you know he had a vision of how to fix India, and all of a sudden he's in America, right? Turns out that was a necessary connection, but only mother, only in the mind of the divine mother at the time. So when he when he comes, so he came, but he came without really you know first few days we know the story goes he didn't have a place to live. He was almost on the streets, and somebody sees him, Are you, he's exotically dressed. Are you here for the Parliament? Some, some lady said, well, yes, I am, right? He said, and it turns out he wasn't on the, ros- on the roster, on the register, right? And so she was an influential person, took him home, and got him the proper paperwork and credentials so he would be on, on the list. And so there was, a, uh, his, his, uh, there was an introduction, and then he was welcomed, and he gave his response to the address, to, to the welcome. That's the famous Sisters and Brothers of America, right? Uh, we know that Swamiji, well, knowing English, he was not native speaker of English. And he had not, he was never publicly spoken English. Most of us already know, I have not heard it like that. So I can imagine a huge crowd, no microphone like this one, you know. Huge crowd, and, and a cra- uh, behind you, uh, if you've seen pictures of the parliament, it's the most <laughs> incredible display of uh, liturgical get-ups and things like that, the bishops and and you know, all kinds of things like that, so, and, and the most important uh, intellectuals and rich people of the time in front of them, right? And so he says that he simply prayed to Goddess Saraswati, right? And, and something came through him, and then his opening... So actually, as we understand uh, what the story, he says, Sisters and Brother America, and there's four, five, six minutes of applause. There was a deafening applause. So some Shakti came, right? Of course, he was a dramatic person also, and I think he had power. Right. And then he gave a very nice, a very important, on actually September 11th, the first talk, right? Uh, uh, so it's a significant date for good and bad, September 11th. Um, he gave his, uh, and where he says many beautiful, very short, it's only five, six paragraphs, very short. It was a response, not a, not a lecture. It wasn't his, he was, simply int- he was introduced and he gave a few words and he sat back down. The next day or two days later, he gave his proper talk, his first proper talk. He gave like six talks or something at the parliament. Um, so his, op- so his opening thing, is that one of the things he says, that I hope that the, the bell that tolled today in honor of this convention would be the death knell of all fanaticism, of all violence between religions, of all uncharitable feelings, violence with the sword or with the pen. You know, Unfortunately, it hasn't. <laughs> it's done something, but, you know, the 108 years of the day is when the, uh, September 11, our modern version of September 11th happened. Uh-huh. Uh, so that was the world's answer, was not yet, right, another bell perhaps, right, but this, what he put into motion, we have to see. So the next, so what, then what, as the speakers began to speak, people began to read prepared lectures. You, pre- you read a paper, that's what you do, you know, if like, at universities, like you go to a, you go to a, you know, a convention, and people, nobody just speaks, or like we're trying to do, they, they have a prepared talk, uh, paper. That they've written you know, often, often an article or something, and then you read it. They, read a, uh, they try to read occasionally looking up at people's faces and keep reading. But he had not prepared a talk. He's never prepared a uh, paper. Right? So he went home and wrote a paper. Right? Mm-hmm. And in all the talks of San Vibhikunanda, as far as I know, I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I don't think I'm wrong. Uh, in all the talks in the complete works, this is the only one that he, that he wrote out and read. But all the other ones were exper- extraneous. Ex- Extemporaneous. 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 Thank you. The word. <laughs> this is why I should definitely write that on what <laughs> I'm going to say. <laughs> the language and language. One of the many differences. His incredible mastery in language. Uh, so the first talk he gave is called, I'll find it here, Chicago address. Okay. Sorry, here. It's called Hinduism, right? So this is, so In he wasn't the first Hindu in, the, in America. He wasn't, the her, really we present him as the first Hindu preacher in America. He wasn't exactly, right? And even on the stage, there were other representatives of Indian Hinduism, right? Uh, but within, after his first opening talk, they became, they paled into significance. Nobody paid attention to them, right? So they're almost, and, and anybody who had been present in, in, in America uh, it became inconsequential, right? He became, the, the, almost overnight, the voice of Hinduism. The voice of India, the voice of Hinduism to the Western world. So this is, in certain sense, in, in one sense, the first articulation in the West of Hinduism, right? Uh, some scholars even believe, we were talking about this earlier, that this is almost the founding of Hinduism. What we think of modern-day Hinduism, when we think of now, we think Hinduism, when did there's, if you go back a thousand years, even 200 years, there was no thing called Hinduism exactly. right? This concept now is that we have political parties, we have all kinds of things based on Hinduism. But hind- the concept of Hinduism as a coherent religion with a core, really almost can't be found before this talk. Some have held. Others say, no, no, no it's never been formulated. But these principles were there before he presented them. But even that presented them, I and mean, once you call something something, that becomes, now people are debating the thing. right? So it's interesting to see what he, Described as what was what was the first formulation of Hinduism in America? Maybe the first formulation of Hinduism in the in in, in modern culture, right? Or at least I mean, Vivekananda's description. <coughs> and it puts a lot. Uh, it, it, um, anyways, it's a short. It's not a very long uh, discussion or uh, talk, a paper. So I'll read it's a few discussions. Swamiji, this is on September nineteenth. So eleventh. So it's uh, six days later, seven days later, eight days yeah. yeah. later, whatever. Yeah. So it was, he had by this time he had heard a bunch of people who were reading papers, and also, people noticed him, and and his opening talk was so powerful, right? You people? And it said afterward, people. It's like a like a, you know, hate It's like a pop culture concert, like the Justin Bieber concert. People rushed the the stage. People rushed the stage, right? It says women were pushing each other out of the way to touch him. I mean, he was so he was very also very handsome, but very charismatic, right? So it was so and so. It said that when he when he began to speak, they put him at the end of the day lectures to keep people there. People would sit through all the boring lectures, going oh, that 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 exotic Hindu monk, right? <laughs> like the exotic was a uh, the exotic Orientalist, you know, is going to be there. You know, we have to was uh, a turban a bright new, bright red robe and a big yellow turban. It was quite quite a, a, a presentation, right? And uh, so him sitting there night after night as people are giving talk, people waiting for him to speak, right? Uh, so he got his chance to organize his written talk. Three religions, he says, now stand in the world, which have come down to us from times prehistoric. Hinduism, Zoroastrianism, and Judaism. They all, have all received tremendous shocks, and all of them have proved by their survival their internal strength. But while Judaism failed to absorb Christianity and was driven out of its place of birth by its, by its all-conquering daughter, meaning Christianity, it was chased, uh, and a handful of Parsis is all that remains to tell their tale of their grand religion. This is the Rastrians. Sect after sect arose in India and, seems, and seemed to shake the, re, the religion of the Vedas to its very foundations. But like the waters of the seashore in a tremendous earthquake, it receded only for a while to return in an all-absorbing flood, a thousand times more vigorous. And when the tumult of the rush was over, these sects were all sucked in, absorbed and assimilated into the immense body of the mother faith. This is the first thing he began to mention. The first point he decided to mention as he began to speak about Hinduism is that that, uh, it has survived all... uh, both its internal struggles, and changes, and external changes. Uh, and actually, he pointed out in his opening address that, that we, we hold, India still holds in its bosom the purest remnants of these Israelites. Right? Uh, when, when the temple fell in Israel, the first temple fell, and the first, when the diaspora happened, one group went to India. And only until very recently, the last, I think the last Jewish family from that original group, from the fall of the temple to a thousand something years ago, went back and moved to Israel. There's no original family. Only like the last five six years it happened, wow. right? And it's the only country in the entire world where the Jewish uh, diaspora uh, 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 refugees have never been persecuted. The wow. in, in, in entire history of just the only country where they were. He pointed that out. Also, this is another point. Religions have come. External relig- people have come. We've absorbed them or housed them. Our own. We've had Buddhism. All these things have changed within us. We've at the end of it, Hinduism has survived, right? Christianity and Islam is trying to conquer us, at the end of which, we're still here, right? This, is, this one first point is about this uh, unique quality of Hinduism to absorb and to digest and to uh, uh, survive, right? From the high spiritual flights of the Vedanta philosophy, of which the latest discoveries of science seem to seem like echoes, to the low ideas of adultery with its multifarious mythology, the agnosticism of the Buddhists and the atheism of the atheism of the Jains each and all have a place in the Hindu religion. It's also the broadness from the highest philosophy, the highest Vedantic uh, commentaries and thoughts. And he said uh, here he's using the language of the time, which is a little pejorative by our standard, uh, the, the low religion of idolatry and temples and people worshiping stones, right? But even that, sure that all that's contained, and even Buddhism and Jainism is all absorbed in Hinduism. These are these an are, are interesting point. Uh, where then, the question arises, where the common centers upon which all these wildly diversing radii converge, converge, where is the common basis upon which all these seemingly hopeless contradictions rest? This is the question I shall attempt to answer. Because between Vedanta and worshipping a rock, there's a huge difference. Yet Hinduism has something that, that has these things in common. There's something that's, that's unchanging, that these seeming con- contradictory ideas can be held. What is that thing Daddy wants to talk? The Hindus have received their religion through revelation, the Vedas. They hold that the Vedas are without beginning and without end. It may sound ludicrous to this audience that a book can be without beginning and or end. But I, this is one of my favorite lines in the whole talk. But by the Vedas, no books are meant. They mean the accumulated treasure of spiritual laws discovered by different persons in different times, just as the law of gravitation existed before its discovery and would exist in all if all humanity forgot it. So it is with the laws that govern the spiritual world, the moral, ethical, and spiritual relations between soul and soul, between the individual spirits and the father of all spirits were there before their discovery and would remain even if we forgot them. The discoverers of these laws are called rishis and we honor them as perfected beings. I am glad to tell this audience that some of the very greatest among them were women. <coughs> Interesting also his, one of his first opening statements is mm-hmm. to point out ancient times we received our religion not just from men but also from women. Now this is a very modern statement maybe not as modern a hundred and something years ago, you know. Very important, he was very, this is a main important point to Sangha come Kananda, like R.D. and others. Here it may be contended that these laws, as laws, may be without end, but they must, ha- they must have had a beginning. The Vedas teach us that creation is without beginning or end. Science is said to have proved that the sum total of the cosmic energy is always the same. Then, if there was a time when nothing existed, where was all this manifested energy? Some say that it was a potential form in God. In that case, God is sometimes potential and sometimes kinetic, which would make him mutable. Everything mutable is a compound, and every compound must undergo that change, which is called destruction. This this line seems like a very... It's actually a direct quote from the um, Sankhya Karnika, I think it's called, right? The Sankhya thing is anything that's, that's put together will come apart. It's a very simple, very simple principle. I I often remember that. All of a sudden, like something goes wrong, or something wrong with your body, or somebody passes away, or your car breaks down, or this microphone breaks. Anything that's been put together will break. That will fall apart. That's a simple principle of matter. So if God is something is something like that, then he's not God. If he's, if, he, if, he, if he's putting something, if the universe is put together and God's, if God's created this way, then it goes all... So he's rejecting this, using the samkhya. But another thing, there's somebody, there was a, uh, uh, it hasn't been released yet, but the Ramakrishna Mission had a committee to annotate the, 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 the complete works. Because in each one of his talks, I said it's all extraneous Extremary. Temporary. Extre- Temporary. I shouldn't just say that. I should choose another word. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> right. But actually, you read like this talk. He's given the essence of, of, of the Katupanishad. This talk, he's giving a chapter on, on Yoga Sutta. This talk, he's giving from Sankhya uh, text right? Without ever quoting the text. In these talks, he gives whole things. But And if, if scholars can see, oh, this is a verse from that, this is a verse from that, he takes from his vast knowledge. That's also one of the ways you can speak without notes, right? There was a famous uh, uh, scholar kind of in the new thought and occult movement of, uh, of yesterday named Manly P. Hall. He had the philosophical uh, uh, library and research society in Los Angeles. Very important at uh, this time. He may even even Swam- met Swamiji. He was like the, after Swamiji to transition of, of new thought. But somebody I knew somebody who met him. And he would speak, he'd sit there and he'd come and he'd speak hours without any notes. And she asked him, he says, so how did, uh, Dr. Hall, how did you, how can you speak for so many hours? He said, when I sit, I have 30 hours of information in my head. I, I, from that I pull a couple hours that I can talk about, it. not probably. Amazing. Right, you know, So you have that also shows, he's, in fact, he's quoting without quoting. He has so much, he's all the scriptures in his head. Also, we know from Swamiji he had a completely photographic memory. We forget, you know, the uh, story, I'm sorry, I'm, there for, I'm uh, side, but there's a way of talking about Swamiji. There's a story where the uh, 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 Encyclopedia Britannica was sent to Belermatt, right? And somebody made a comment, right? Even in the library, in the, in the monastery, some Brahmacharya made a comment. Wow, it's such a huge thing. You couldn't, one couldn't read that in the life. It was, you know, I remember when people had encyclopedias, that was a big thing in our house, you know, took up the entire wall, you know, like 50 volumes, my big encyclopedia. What do you mean? I've, I've, I've almost finished it. I've read half of it already. So, Swamiji, yeah, it's not possible. We've only had it a couple of weeks. Yeah, ask me anything. Mm-hmm. Right? And, he's, and the, the boy picked up the thing and he said, What's on this? And Swamiji began to recite exactly what was on the page. Right? And he said, he, and he, oh. <laughs> so You can see was mind. He said, This happens if you follow Brahmacharya for 12 years, you get this type of memory. It's not hard. It's hard. No. <laughs> it's not hard, but it's hard. We <laughs> for 12 years. But, that's, but it's the type of memory that the Yogisutta the yogis says by, by, by being fixed in Brahmacharya for 12 years, one gets perfect memory. So he's proof of this, you know, that Siddhi was there. So you can see where all, so all these things are pulling from so many different texts, almost word for word. If I may be allowed to use a simile, creation and creator are two lines, without beginning and without end, running parallel to each other. God is the ever-active providence by whose power system after systems are being evolved out of chaos made in turn for a time made to run for a time and then again destroyed. This is what the Brahmin's boy repeats every day quote, the sun and the moon the Lord created like the suns and moons of previous cycles here I stand and if I shut my eyes and try to conceive of my existence, I, I, I what is this idea before me? The idea of a body. Am I, then, nothing but a combination of material substances? So actually, the first point is, i finished the point, is that this idea of uh, uh, two parallel ideas of the, the ever-existing God and the ever-existing creation, right? The creation is constantly manifesting and manifesting, but it's, it never ceases to exist. is also out of samkhya, purusha and He's taking these ideas from here, and now he's going to, that's an important idea, you have an ever existing, not only God's eternal, but we're eternal, and the world's eternal, right? Sometimes it's not, man- it's like we're not always manifested, but the world's uh, world also not always manifested, important point, point. and now it's about, now about the, uh, who we are. Uh, here I stare up, I shut my eyes, and see my existence, say, I. When you think I, what do you think? You think the body. So, am I this body? My guru used to say, think, am I this body, or something else? If said, by this question, he used to say, and its real answer, all the questions of your life will be solved forever. Right? Not only not by this question, by its actual answer. We have all kinds of answers that aren't the right answer. One of the symptoms of the right answer is that all your questions, all your problems of life will be solved forever. So I have come up with many answers, and all my questions haven't been solved, so it's still wrong answer. So because uh, uh, Am I then nothing but a combination of material substances? No, the Vedas declare, I am a spirit living in a body. I am not the body. The body will die, but I shall not die. Here I am in this body. It will fall, and I shall go on living. I also had a past. The soul was not created. For creation means combination, which means a certain future dissolution. If the soul was created, it must die. Same point. Since it's not created, it will not die. Since I'm not created, I will not die. Uh, Some are born happy. So what's this point? So if he's presenting Hindu. What are the basic? If you start thinking, what are the basic views of Hindus? And we tell what is? What do Hindus believe? First thing you say, oh, you make statements. Try to make some sort of statement that we accept all religions. That's like the first thing. That's what he said. Right? We've absorbed all religions. We have all competing, conflicting sects within us without problem. Then the second point, you have to tried to describe. you have to describe reincarnation, right? To, to reincarnation, you have to understand the difference between the body and the soul. Right, that's, so this is, is, these are foundational principles. So this is one of the first clear descriptions of, of reincarnation. Some are born happy, enjoy perfect health, have beautiful bodies, mental vigor, and all wants supplied. Other are born miserable, some are without hands or feet. Others again are idiots and only drag on a wretched existence. Why, if they are all created, why does a just and merciful God create one happy and another unhappy? Why is he so partial? Nor would it men matter in the least to hold that those who are miserable in this life will be happy in a future life. Like this is a common uh, in Christianity. it's like whatever in this life, we will attain perfection. We'll have resurrected bodies in the, in, in the afterlife, right? We'll have perfect bodies, a new and a new and a new heaven and a new earth. The, the language, right? Uh, but uh, but what, but the case, This is not solved the question. The, the real question is still there. Why should a man be miserable even here? in a reign of a just and merciful God. In the second place, the idea of the Creator God does not explain the anom- the anomaly, but simply asserts the cruel fact of an all the cruel fiat of an all-powerful being. There must have been causes then, before a man's birth, to make him miserable or happy. And those were his past actions. Actually without understanding reincarnation, it's very hard to make sense of the world, and very hard to make sense of God. Because if, if there's not a clear if there's not a cause, if we if there's not a clear cause for our unhappiness, then who caused it? If we didn't cause it, who caused it? You know, if, if the creator caused it. If we have if something was created, so we can blame him, right? Mm-hmm. So Vivekananda um, would make statements like, "If that's true, not only I would not bl- I would not worship such a god. I spend my life fighting such a god." Right? And you can see there's people, you see on the internet, you look on, you look on Facebook, there's people fighting such a God. They're constantly criticizing every, every, uh, every view of religion, right? Because it, they're missing a particular fact, right? If this is the God you believe in? I also don't believe. I don't believe. I one time was at devotee's home, very nice devotee, and he says, my son is, is becoming an atheist. You talk to him, right? It's like, okay, you know, it's like, so and he, he gave his argument says, well, I agree with you, actually. Most of your, your points are very valid. I don't believe in that God either. The God you're rejecting—I don't believe that that God. Vivekananda, is in three four sentences, dismisses that God. It's an impossibility, an un, an, an unthoughtful uh, a belief that's that's not a, a, a result of clear thinking. It, 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 so it's i sorry, sorry. I don't think I helped your son very much, but <laughs> you know, I, I don't believe in that God either. And I think that boy had a deeper understanding. That's why he was a young kid, a rebellious kid. You're supposed to fight a little bit. I also fought. Uh, in a second, Mister Are not all the tendencies of the mind and the body accounted for by inherited aptitude? Here are two parallel lines of existence, one of the mind, the other of matter. If matter and its transformations answer for all that we we have, there is no necessity for supposing the existence of the soul. But it cannot be proved that thought has been evolved out of matter. And if a philosophical monism is inevitable, spiritual monism is certainly logical and, and more desirable than the materialistic monism. But it is not necessary to discuss either of these here. These will be the topic of a thousand pages of his talks on non-duality and things like that. He's not jumping in. We cannot deny that that bodies acquire certain tendencies from hereditary. But those tendencies only mean the physical configuration through which a particular mind alone can act in a particular way. There are other tendencies particular to a soul caused by its past actions. And a soul with a certain tendency will, by the law of affinity, take birth in that body which is the fittest instrument for the display of that tendency. This, is, so this is his definition of reincarnation. Why, uh, like, we can say the cause of our of our of our health and body is genetics, right? That way we, but why did we? Why are we born? So the causes, the, the, the obvious cause is genetics, right? Where is genetics. But the spiritual thing is, why do why are we born in such a body with those genetics? The soul is looking for a body that will that will that will um, uh, that best suits its karmas, right? So even choosing the genetic makeup, right, it has to choose the right the, the, the right family, the right home, the right body. This is in accord with science, for science wants to explain everything by habit, and habit is required through repetition. So repetition is necessary to explain the natural habits of a newborn soul. So it's interesting. So if, 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 you're, if uh, habits are formed by repetition, what are the habits when the soul is born? It has no habits. right? It's tendencies. We normally think in modern, modern psychology of his time. Right, you know, it's, uh, it's been developed a little bit, but not against the point, is that, that uh, uh, we get our behavior by our by our previous behavior, right? But when you bo- what what about the behavior you're born with? By that principle, there has to be previous behavior. He's using the it's twice he's, he's quoted modern science. That's another aspect of Sri of Sri He held that the teachings of Vedanta and Yoga and Hinduism are not contrary to science, right? Uh, and actually, this is a very important point because at the time, at the time when he was speaking, uh, the religion was under a huge crisis. So Vedanta accepts dinosaurs? Yeah, <laughs> it accepts dinosaurs, right? Except the dinosaurs were more than 6,000 years old. Right. My sister does it, yeah. right? Yeah. That's, a, that's, that's also fine. It's <laughs> not a Vedanta. Right. But, but what it is, what it's, see, the, 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 um, the challenge of modern science the challenge of what was t- of of evolution of Darwinism, right? These things were very strong. This is this was in the news, right? And 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 people, the simple faith of people were being, especially of the intellectual class, was being shaken, right? So these were literally this are his this this is his audience. This is who he's looking out talking to, right? So he, his opening is like this is what we're saying is it's not against here exactly. It's 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 the same or, or similar to your. Of modern science is saying, and he continuously talks like it. he doesn't say it's scientific, because science has its own agenda and its own methodology and its own uh, um, sphere. But the conclusions can't be against; are not against. You shouldn't be scared of modern science and or historical analysis, right? Uh, because what are the things? He, okay, I don't want to get there. I wanted to point out. You to realize it's two pages. the next page. Uh, hmm. Sorry, newborn. So, and since they were not obtained in this present life, they must have come down from past life, all those tendencies there is another suggestion taking all this for granted how is it that I do not remember anything of my past life this can be easily explained that's a challenge, I don't remember my past life right? but this point is but you can, right? you haven't tried right? <laughs> right. So this can easily be explained uh, I am now speaking English, it is, my, it is not my mother tongue, and in fact no words of my mother tongue are now present in my consciousness but let me try to bring them up, and they rush in. That shows that consciousness is only on the surface of the mental ocean, and within its depths are stored all of our experiences. Try and struggle, and they will all come up, and you will be conscious of your past lives. Not that hard. Right, so that's not a, that's not a good argument against it. I can't remember past lives, right? You can. Of course, it can't be proven, you can't even prove many things, but that is, this is a simple, you have to remember this is, simple, this is the beginning presentation. <coughs> This is direct and demonstrative evidence. Verification is the perfect proof of a theory. And here is a challenge thrown to the world by the Rishis. We have discovered the secret by which the very depth of the ocean of memory can be stirred up. Try it, and you will get the complete reminiscences of your past life. So then, the Hindu believes that he is spirit. That's the ultimate point. We're the soul, not the body. Him, and then he quotes, without quoting, if we know, I'll read the third. but everybody knows it. Him, the sword cannot pierce. Him, fire cannot burn. Him, water cannot melt. Him, air cannot dry. This Is from Bhagavad Gita, right? right? The Hindu believes that every soul is a circle whose circumference is nowhere, but whose center is located in the body, and that death means the change of this center from body to body. Mm, this is nice. one of his great things. It's like a circle whose, whose circumference, his edge is nowhere but whose center is someplace in a particular body later he describes in other places also using the same analogy he says, what's god then god's a circle whose center who, whose circumference is nowhere right but whose center is everywhere right that's the difference the soul is one place where i'm located here right but my but I, there's no place where i don't extend but i still have an individual center god also does extend everywhere but his center is everywhere. Brilliant. It's a simple language with like such powerful sure. images. Yeah. He's using like parallel lines of matter and spirit. You know, it's using modern language, modern, uh, um, modern for the time, should I say. Right. Very beautiful. And death means the change of center from body to body. Simple. The soul is not bound by the conditions of matter. It is a very e- in its very essence, it is free, unbounded, holy, pure, and perfect. But somehow or other, it finds itself tied down to matter. And thinks of itself as matter. So this is very important. This is the beginning. Somehow or another. Right? Somehow or another. But so, what is the soul? In many religions, and the religions of his audience, right? Uh, the, the, not necessarily everybody behind them, but the people in front of him, right? Is like what? What's the nature of the soul? Right. The soul is fallen. Right. We're uh, and, and, and uh, uh, mm-hmm. uh, our nature is fallen, therefore needs salvation. Original sin. Original sin. These these are things. And Sarmaji, he was. He talks about this later also, but he says, but actually, well, if, we, if it's not original sin, how are we, how are we fallen? How we, I mean, if we're not fallen, how are we fallen? How are we in the body? How are we suffering? How are we separated from God? Somehow, there's some accident of fate. There's some reason, there must be reasons, obviously here we are for a reason, but it's not the reason we think. Cruel. We can give the reason we think any type of title, like the fall of man, that's a legitimate uh, metaphor for, for what happens, what happens or happens, Right. But it doesn't change the actual fact: the soul is, uh, 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 is not bound by the conditions of matter. So you say, how am I? How am I suffering? How am I limited? You're not. You're identified with a limited body. You're not limited. What are you? You are free, unbounded, holy, pure, and perfect. These are the qualities of the soul. Right. So these are. That's a very, a very big statement, especially for his audience. But somehow. Or other, we find ourselves tied down to matter and thinks itself as matter. Why the free, perfect, and pure being should thus be under the thraldom of matter is the next question. How can the perfect soul be deluded into the belief that it is imperfect? We have been told that, in the, that, that the Hindu uh, shirks the question and say that there can be no, and, and say that there can be no such question. Some thinkers want to answer. And say that there there can be no such question. Sorry. Some thinkers want to answer it by positing one or more quasi-perfected beings. And use big scientific names to fill in the gap. But naming is not explaining. The question remains the same. How can the perfect become the quasi-perfect? How can the pure, the absolute, change even a microscopic particle of its nature? But the Hindu is sincere. He does not want to take shelter under sophistry. He is brave enough to face a question in a manly fashion. And his answer is, I do not know. Right. <laughs> but it still happened. <laughs> How is it that the, that the perfect uh, p- thinks it's imperfect? My Guruji also says, somehow or another, uh, this is his language very nice. We talked about this in the car in, in San Francisco. He says, one plus one equals two. Two plus two equals four. Four plus four equals... 8. 8 plus 8 equals 17. 17 plus 17. 16. But see, some mistake was made. How it was made, who knows? Right, now you build your whole mathematical system on that. You build your algebra system on that. Your, ge- your geometry on that. Right, your, 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 your physics, your, your psychology. Everything's based on some mistake. Somehow another mistake was made. The imperfect thing. The perfect thinks it's imperfect. The unlimited thinks itself is limited. He says, we don't know how, actually. Right, Vedanta says that we don't know the cause; we know the solution. We know how to wake up from the fact. Right, like when you're in the middle of a dream, how did I, how I dream? in the middle of the dream? How do you how can you answer why am I dreaming? Not possible, but you can wake up. Right, so the the the, the how a lot of people put a lot of energy on the why. That like maybe reason, he says. People have given different reasons. I mean, you can read books. As, we have shelves of books on, on on the mechanics of Maya, right, from various schools of thought, right. But ultimately it's 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 not he says, I like I like this. The Hindu has no problem, he says, I don't know. But it's still the fact because here we are. we we know we have to be perfect being. Otherwise you have to deny God's existence and it's opening a few parallel structures, right? Immutable being and an immutable being and all that, all that stuff, right? So to have a perfect God means we also have to be perfect. And yet we're not we don't feel we're perfect. We feel we're limited, we feel we're suffering, we feel we're isolated and separate. So, I don't know how, but the fact remains that we are perfect, we are pure, we are. And that every sage says, and and the scripture is a pound. And here's the opening talk on Hinduism, pounds the same thing. I do not know, I do not know how the perfect being, the soul, came to think of itself as imperfect, and joined to the condition, and conditioned by matter. But the fact is a fact for all that. It is a fact in everyone's consciousness that one thinks of oneself as the body. The answer that is the will of God is no explanation. This is nothing more than what the Hindus say. When more than what the Hindus say, I don't believe. I I don't know. To say, oh God, God, it's God's will. That's the same thing. You don't know. We say, oh, it's God's will. It's, it's another way. It's a religious way. of saying, I don't know, right. right? So that's not an answer. It's the same answer. We, he says we uh, uses this term. he was very manly. Right? He liked this term. Right? He very mean, bold. You know. We wouldn't use that term in <laughs> the same way now, but uh, uh, you like this man we're manly, we can say we fess up to it. We fess up to it, right? You know. We don't know. Well then, the human soul is eternal and immortal, perfect and infinite. And death means only a change of centre from one body to another. The percent is determined sorry, the present is determined by our past actions and the future by the present. The soul will go on evolving up or reverting back from birth to birth, and death to death. In three sentences, the entire reincarnation is explained brilliantly. Okay. But here's another question. Is man a tiny boat in the tempest, raised one moment on the foamy crest of a billow, and dashed down into the yawning chasm the next, rolling to and fro at the mercy of the good and bad, of good and bad actions, a powerless, helpless wreck, and an ever-raging, ever-rushing, uncompromising current of cause and effect? Somebody had a good language. A little moth placed under the wheel of causation which rolls on crushing everything in its way and waits for no for, for, waits not for the widow's tear the orphan's cry the heart shrinks from the idea yet this is the law of nature. Great. Right. So uh, are we, is there no hope? Is there no escape? We cry was you know, so this is, this is a, so this is a big setup you know like if if all that's true, we just, I mean, bound and caught in the world of birth and you know, like, is there no escape from this? So it's, it says, is there no hope? Is there no escape? This was the cry that went up from the bottom of the heart of despair. Right. It reached the Ve- it reached the throne of mercy. It's very poetic, right? And words of, uh, and words of hope and consolation came down and inspired a Vedic sage. And he stood up before the world, in the, and in trumpet voice proclaimed, the glad tidings, very, very Christian language, right? Hear, O children of immortal bliss, even ye that reside in higher spheres, I have found the Ancient One, who is beyond all darkness, all delusion. By knowing Him alone, you will be saved from death over again. Right, they're beautiful. Well, the cry when, when the cry of despair, are we trapped forever? That cry reached the throne of mercy, God's feet. And he inspired a Vedic sage to make, and this is actually from an Upanishad. I forget the, it's a sloka, right? And the term, immortal, children of immortal bliss, right? And the term in the, in the, in the original, I, remember, I don't, it's not, this is not the annotated version, but I know the verse. It says, Amrita Putra, right? So this is the term that's used. Oh, Amrita Putra. Children of immortality or children of bliss, both. So immortal bliss is a good combination of two meanings of amrita, right? Grace says here O children of immortal bliss. Even you, who relied in higher realms. Even the ones in heaven, they're also stuck, right? Heaven's not the not the way out either, right? By knowing Him, so I have uh, I have known, I have found the ancient one, the primordial one, who is beyond all darkness, all delusion. By knowing Him alone, you be saved from death over and over again. So this is the conclusion. By knowing God is the solution. Why we're, we're, we're stuck in this, the, inf, the, the perfect infinite soul is stuck in, 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 in suffering and thinking itself as an imperfect body, you know, stuck in the, law of, in, the, in the law of cause and effect in the world of birth and death. Right? Uh, only because it doesn't know the unchanging one, the ancient one. Know that, and death ends. Right? You tra- transcend the world of name and form and causation, and already we're that. But then, so this is a beautiful verse, right, and poetic point. But then Swamiji, he says, Oh, I just said something very, very important. He has called us children of immortal bliss, right? Children of immortal bliss. What a sweet, what a hopeful name. Right? Allow me to call you brethren by that sweet name. Heirs of immortal bliss. Yea, the Hindu refuses to call you sinners. We are the children of God. And the sharers of immortal bliss. Holy and perfect beings, ye divinities on earth, sinners it is a sin to call a man so. It is a standing libel on human nature. It's a sin to call a man a sinner. What could be worse is calling if a man if man's or woman human soul is perfect, divine, blissful, a child of God, to call that person a sinner is blasphemy. Right, that's the thing, so we have to be, it's like Sarmaji later, in other places, he says actually Sinner is not, we are sinners Right, sin is, sin is a crime against nature, a crime against God, a crime against conscience A disobedience of the scriptures, a breaking of our caste rules These are all the ways of describing sin Those have painful reactions, those reactions are unconscious, those keep us separated from God It's not that we're not, that we don't sin And the people who sin, they can be called, it's like Some people who build can be called builders People who eat can be called eaters. But to make that your identity, right, that's a mistake, right? It's taking one little thing, one little aspect of yourself, and using that as your identity. When, like, when the soul, like it says that the soul is described as the, the individual soul, not even like the Supreme Brahman, the individual soul is described in the Gita as radiating like 10,000 suns, right? So it's like whatever the worst possible sin we could have done or the most unhealthy food we could have eaten, or the biggest house we could have built, whatever, <laughs> the thing we do that has a reaction, in compar- to, to call us that instead of rating it like 10,000 suns. Right? You know, it's like it's not, not, not nothing, and that is the problem, we have made mistakes, and we're learning from those mistakes hopefully, we suffer as a result of those mistakes, but to make that our identity is very dangerous, it changes a whole psychology. Right? You should think I'm divine. Right by some mistake, by some accident, by some who knows my past—it's like I don't know how. Here I am, thinking, not remembering that I'm divine. Of course, we have to. We shouldn't be foolishly on divine, but we are divine. That's the point. Uh, it is a sin to call a man. I love this line. It's a sin to call a man a sinner. The standing libel on, him, on human nature. Come up, O oh lions, and shake off the delusion that you are sheep. This is a great lion. So this also, what is this from? This is from a story from Sri Ramakrishna. Uh, from a lion or a tiger. I think Sri Ramakrishna told it as a tiger. Sri Ramakrishna, Vivekananda tells it as a lion. It's more like, especially in America, Americas, a lion of the king of the beasts, right? In Sri Ramakrishna's story, a lion, a tiger goes out to go hunting, and he's, he sees a sheep, and he goes and, and jumps at a sheep, uh, and that sheep is um uh, uh, pregnant, and just as the sheep tries to get away, it dies and gives birth to its... I guess a baby sheep. I don't know, sheep, sheeplet, <laughs> whatever the word is, right? Uh, uh. And that tiger, tigress, he feels a little compassion. He takes that. Uh, uh, um. No, I got the story all wrong. Sorry, please forgive me. Yeah, no, that's okay. So the the uh, a, li- a lion goes to jump and catch a sheep, but the lioness, or the tig- tigress, gives birth, and mm-hmm. dies. Sorry. <laughs> I got the story wrong. It's another story. It's also a good story. <laughs> I was mixing it with a Judd Butler story, and a uh, different point, but also good stuff. <laughs> uh, um, and so the the uh, 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 and so the sheep seeing this baby t- cub, they decide, oh, let's, we, we'll raise it, right? And so that baby that baby tiger or lion lion that's, uh, gets raised as a sheep and goes to sheep school, right? Mm-hmm. Has a, it's, it's brothers and friends and everything. or sheep learns about sheep food and like this, and very happy. One day, another tiger. Or lion, the story, comes and sees, hunting, and he sees, oh, there's a nice pack of sheep. I can get my lunch out of this, right? And he sees in the middle of it, there's, this t- there's a young tiger there, an, an adolescent tiger. And, it's, and he's looking at it, it's bah, bad, it's bleeding, <laughs> it's chewing on grass. He's like, what is this? So he gives a roar, scares him away, and he grabs that tiger and pulls it. And he goes, no, no, don't kill me, don't kill me, don't kill me, bad, bad, don't kill me, right? He says, what do you mean, don't kill me? You're, you're a ti- you're You're a tiger. Right, he says, No bad, doesn't." He's so he grabs and drags him to the to a river. He says, "Look in the reflection. Look at your face. Look at my face. You see? I have a, a tiger face. Look at your face. It's a tiger face." Right, and then he and he goes and catches uh, some meat and, and puts meat in its mouth. "Not bad, he only eats grass his whole life." No, no, taste it. He shoves the, the bloody meat into the. You know, like cat like. <laughs> All of a sudden. Roar! He lives out a roar. He remembers his nature. Everything comes back, right? So this is the thing is that we are—we are, we are um, uh, uh, tight. We think we're sheep, but we're actually tigers. We think we're sinners and fallen and, and pathetic. We're actually glorious beings, right? We're children of immortality. Maybe even Brahman itself. It depends on how far you want to take. How much he hasn't presented everything, but it's it's it's. We're, we're definitely divine. We're. we're uh, Swami he says, "Do not bleed like a lamb. We're like a lion of Vedanta, right?" So like you you should. Uh, Focus on the positive. On the positive. <clears throat> Come up, O oh lion, and shake off the delusion that you are sheep. In one line, the whole story of Sri Ramakrishna Krishna is told. So every verse is from the scriptures of Sri Krishna. Every sentence he told. Right? So this is this may be this line right here may be the first time the world heard a line, a story, a teaching of Sri Krishna. Hmm. Yeah. It is a sin to call a man, oh sorry, uh, 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 come up a line, she got to do you are souls immortal, spirits free, blessed and eternal. You are not matter, you are not bodies. Matters is your servant, not you the servant of matter. Thus it is that the Vedas proclaim, not the, dreadf- the dreadful combination of unforgiving laws, This is modern science at this time, not the endless prison of cause and effect, right? Uh, But that at the head of all these laws, in and through every particle of matter and force, stands one, by whose command the winds blow, fire burns, the clouds rain, and death stalks upon the earth. This is a verse also from the Upanishad. There is one behind everything. And what is his nature? That's the next question. So he established reincarnation, the soul, and the one to, we have to know to, to realize the soul. So what's his nature? What's her nature? Right? Point for point, he builds. Brilliant how he builds, right? What is, and what is his nature? He is... No, he's talking about God. He is Before he was talking about us, who we were. Now we'll, we'll relate to it, who we were, God, who God is. He is everywhere. The pure, the formless one, the almighty, and all-merciful. He quotes, "Thou art my father, thou art my mother, thou art my beloved friend, thou art the source of all strengths, Give us strength. Thou art he that breathes, the, that that breath, the, that uh, beareth the burdens of the universe. Help me bear the little burden of this life." He's quoting from a prayer. Thus sang the rishis of the Vedas. And how are we to worship him? Through love. He is he is to be worshipped as the one beloved, dearer than everything in this and in the next life. This is also a quote from the scriptures. This is the doctrine of love declared in the Vedas. Let us see how it is fully developed and taught by Krishna, whom the Hindus believe to have been God incarnate on earth. Krishna taught that a man ought to live in this world like a lotus leaf, which grows in water but is never moistened by the water. So a man ought to live in the world, his heart to God and his hands to work. It is good to love God in the hope of reward in this or the next world. That's interesting. There's good to love God. Most people love God because they want to be happy in this world, and they want to go to heaven, but they die. So that's good. Because actually loving God, worshipping God is always good. Yeah, Don't not think about that. Yeah, it's better better than, than that. But, he says, so it's good to love God and hope of reward in this and the next world. But it is better to love God for love's sake and to... And the prayer goes, Lord, I do not want wealth or children or, or, or learning. If it is thy will, I shall go from birth to birth. But grant me this, that I may love thee without hope of reward. Love unselfishly for love's sake. One of Krishna's disciples, an emperor of India, was, driving, was driven from his kingdom by his enemies, and he had to take shelter with his queen in a forest in the Himalayas. This is, I think, Yudhisthira, if I remember. Right here. And there one day, the queen asked him how, how it was that he, the most virtuous of men, should suffer so much misery. Yudhisthira right, answered, Behold, my queen, look at the Himalayas. Behold the Himalayas, how grand and beautiful they are. I love them. They do not give me anything. But it is my nature to love the grand, the beautiful. Therefore, I love them. Similarly, I love the Lord. He is the source of all beauty, of all sublimity. He is the only object to be loved. My nature is is to love Him, and therefore I love. I do not pray for anything. I do not ask for anything. Let Him place me wherever He likes. I must love Him for love's sake. I cannot trade in love. This whole point of trading in love and loving for love's sake is, is given elaborated years later in a talk on bhakti yoga Very, I think it's called Love Knows No Reason or the Triangle of Love or something there's an important talk where he goes, these are seeds of his whole in this talk, I think in this one paper is the seeds of, of nine volumes of, of, of lectures you know? and I'm reading this, oh, bells are going of things I've read and so many other things You know. the Vedas teach that the soul is divine so anyways, so what is God? He is the ever-pure, the omniscient, And how do we find him? Through love. That's the simple And why to love him? He's grand and beautiful. Our nature to love that which is glorious and beautiful and divine. The Vedas teach that the soul is divine, only held in the bondage of matter, and that perfection will be reached when the bonds burst. And the word they use for it is therefore mukti. Freedom. Freedom from the bonds of imperfection freedom from death and misery. This bondage can only fall off through the mercy of God. And this mercy comes to the pure. very How do we get free from the bondage? Through God's mercy. And mercy comes to the pure. <laughs> Sri Ramakrishna said this many times. God's grace comes to those who are pure. right? But he also said the wind of God's grace is blowing all the time. Set your sail and catch it. But these are not contradictory statements. How do we catch God's grace? Right? A pure mind is the sail that catches those winds. To the pure. Hmm. This bondage can only fall off by the mercy of God, and this mercy comes to the pure. So purity is a condition of his mercy. How does that mercy act? He reveals himself to the pure heart, and the pure and stainless see God. Yea, even in this life. Then and then only is all the crookedness of the heart made straight. Then all doubts cease. Man is no more a victim of the terrible law of causation. This is the very center, the most vital conception of Hinduism. The Hindu does not want to live upon words and theories. If there, if there are existences beyond the ordinary sensual existence, he wants to come face to face with them. If there is a soul in him which is not matter, if there is an all merciful universal soul he will go out and he will go to him direct he must see him and alone and that alone can destroy all doubts so the best proof a hindu sage gives about the soul about god is i have seen the soul i have seen god we, we read something else we were reading this morning over our morning coffee uh was talking he says somebody somebody asked you why do you know god exists so we, then, when you do, you pull out all kinds of philosophy, right? About about the complexity of nature, and you need to be a, a designer of like that complexity, and and you you, you give uh, hour you can hours of description, right? But you, a sage, how do you know God exists? I've seen him. Right. This is there's no need for any argument. I know I've, i know the soul. I've seen God. Right. Mahatma Vivekananda himself went to Sri Aurobindo. First he said, have you seen God? Yes, I've seen him. I see him just like I see him, more real than I see you. Not only that, you can see him too. Right? That is a big statement. right? You know, so this is, that's the best answer. The best answer the Hindu sage gives about the soul about God is, I have seen the soul. I have seen God. And that is the only condition for perfection. The religion of the Hindus does not consist in struggles and attempts to believe a certain doctrine or dogma, but in realization. It's not a creedal religion. You don't have to believe something to be saved. Or try to. Otherwise, you have to. Your, our spiritual life is trying to get ourselves to believe something. Otherwise, we're not saved. It's very dangerous if you don't believe it. So we have to figure out a way to believe it. And books and books and books. I mean, I went to school for this. You know, like I have a, a class after class and library after library of ways to justify and to, uh, the beliefs of religion. Because if they're not true, then the whole thing falls apart. We, or if we don't believe they're true, the whole thing falls apart. We there But that's nice. Is that religion is not. It, consists in the struggles and attempts to believe a certain doctrine and dogma, but in realization. Not in believing, but in being and becoming. Thus the whole object of their system is by constant struggle to become perfect. This is the whole object of their system oh, sorry, uh, become perfect, to become divine, to reach God and see God. And this reaching God, seeing God, becoming perfect, even as the Father in Heaven is perfect, to quote Jesus, constitutes the religion of the Hindus. And what becomes of a man who attains perfection? He lives a life in bliss infinite. A bliss infinite. He enjoys infinite and perfect bliss. Having obtained the only thing in which man ought to have pleasure. Namely, God. He enjoys the bliss with God. As far, so far, all the Hindus are agreed. This is the common religion of all the sects of India. But then perfection is absolute. And the Absolute cannot be two or three. It cannot have any quantities, qualities. It cannot be an individual. God, it cannot be, I'm oh, sorry, uh, 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 sorry, it cannot be an individual. And so, when a soul becomes perfect and Absolute, it must become one with Brahman. And it will then realize itself as existence Absolute, knowledge Absolute. And bliss absolute such so this is like when that if one realizes God there's not more there's not two gods right, so then one realize one underst one realizes one 's own infinite nature as one without a second, but then the question is well, that sounds bad nobody wants we don 't we don't we want we want we care about our individuality right so he answers that we have often been heard we have often we here have often and o- we have often and often heard this called. Losing one indiv- the so-called losing one's individuality and being a stock a, a stock or a stone, he just a scar that never felt a wound. I tell you, it is nothing of the kind. If we, if we lose our individual, we become like a rock, we will be nothing. Right, nothing of the kind. If if it is happiness to enjoy the consciousness of this small body, it must be greater happiness to enjoy the consciousness of two bodies. And the measure of happiness increasing was the consequence, consciousness, of an increasing number of bodies. The aim, the peak of happiness being reached when it has become a universal consciousness. If our individual awareness is so wonderful that we don't want to lose it, imagine if we, we don't lose it, imagine if it were to expand. It doesn't disappear, it expands. Right? It's not our individual consciousness, it's from uh, but an infinite consciousness. So the, the, our pleasure and happiness we get as an individual would be exemplified millions of times, billions of times, infinite amount of times. We'll read fast. <laughs> we'll see if I get before. Um, Therefore, to gain the infinite universal individuality, this miserable little prisoner individuality it must go, to gain the infinite individuality. God's individuality, the individual, the prison individuality must go then alone can death cease when I am one with life then alone can misery cease when I am one with happiness then alone can all errors cease when I am one with knowledge this is the necessary scientific conclusion science has proved to me that physical individuality is a delusion that really my body is one little continuously changing body in an unbroken ocean of matter and Advaita, non-duality, is a necessary conclusion with regards to my other part, the soul. Science is nothing but the finding of unity. This is the understanding of science of a hundred years ago. It's The definitions have changed, but you, know, you recognize it. As soon as science reaches perfect unity, it will stop from further progress, because it will, have to, it will have reached its goal. Thus, chemistry cannot progress further when it discovers one element, out of which all other elements are made. Physics will stop. One is able to fulfill its services in discovering one energy from which all other are but manifestations and the science of religion will become perfect when it discovers him who is the one life in a universe of death who is the constant basis of an ever-changing world one who is the only soul the, the one of whom all souls are but delusive manifestations religion can go no further no farther this too is the goal of science. All science is bound to come to this conclusion in the long run. Manifestation and not creation is the world is the word of science today, and in the Hindu, and the Hindu is the only is only glad that what he has been cherishing in his bosom for ages is going to be taught more and more forceful language, and with further light from the latest conclusions of science. Naguji used also say that science is knocking on the door of divinity from a certain aspects, they don't realize but descend we, descend, we now from, descend we now from the aspiration of philosophy and religion of the ignorant At the very outset I may tell you that there is no polytheism in, Sorry, Descend we now from the aspirations of philosophy to the religion of the ignorant this is from the philosophy to common, what people would consider ignorant religion. Worshipping stones and puja and wiggling finger like we do here. our ignorant religion, like we do, instead of the high philosophy. <laughs> Let's go down to common folk religion like us, you know? I tell you that there is no polytheism in India. This is the big conclusion. Oh, they're worshipping many gods. I have, this is a particular perspective that had to be presented at the time, right? I, I hold that, uh, 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 not disagreeing with Samadhi, but I have a different presentation that uh, i call hinduism polytheistic monism there is many manifestations right and, and real entities but there is only one reality ultimately but he says he's saying the same thing in his own way i may tell you now there's no polytheism in india in every temple if one stands by and listens one will find the worshipper applying the attributes of god including omniscience to the images it is not polytheism, polytheism nor the word nor nor word the name would the name henotheism explain the situation a rose near the name would smell as sweet, quoting Shakespeare, I think, right? <laughs> Names are not explanations. This is henotheism, is a term used at this time. I forget who, the, uh, an Indonologist, used it. He called it, you know, polytheism is many gods, and monotheism is one god, right? So henotheism is one god at a time. Right? He held that this was the view of Hinduism. Whatever henotheism, or. Uh, is that a Greek word? Yeah, based on that. Uh, but this is the idea of Henotheism. Um, um, uh, like when we're worshiping, when we worshiping Krishna, he's supreme. When we're worshiping Ram, Ram's supreme. And so he used that to understand the views of the uh, Vedic mantras. Some mantras of the Vedas describe Indra as supreme. Then another one called Varuna is supreme. So they're using, oh, this is Henotheism. It's right? not that they the two different groups that think that that their god supreme. It's whatever god you're worshiping, that's supreme. Right, so Hennessy was a description, but a description, a, a title you can give that, but a title is not an explanation. So says, right, I remember as a boy hearing a Christian missionary preach to a crowd in India. Among other sweet things, he said to them, if I give your idol a blow with my stick, what can it do? Okay. Uh, this, is, this is the way people are preaching in India. If I hit your what, if I hit Kali, what will happen? Nothing. No power. Right? Uh-uh. One of his hearers sharply answered, "If I abuse your God, what will, what will He do? Right, you will be punished." Said the preacher, "When you die." So my idol will punish you when you die," yeah. <laughs> said the preacher. Retorted the Hindu, "Idol." <laughs> you know these answers are no answers at all, right? Jaima, daima. A tree is known by its fruit. When I have seen what I have seen amongst those that are called adulterers. Now, here he's talking about this is a little, this is the first time where he mentions Sri Krishna, but not by name. We know later this is a line, because you know, it's like people criticize the adult. Adulterers in, in, in the Bible are considered worse than nothing. nothing worse. The worship God as an image is like murder. It's, well, it's one of the ten big things, right? Murder, adult, adultery, right? Uh, 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 fornication, all, all in the same category as, as like worshiping a statue or a picture. Right, so like, so like, that it's considered so bad, like why I mean, it doesn't seem in the in the moral structure to be on the same level, right? But here, so he, he says, I have so uh, uh, a tree is known by its fruit, right? Jesus said that, right? When I have seen among those that are called adulterers men the likes of whom in morality and spirituality and love I have not seen anywhere, I stop and ask myself, can sin beget holiness? Right, and later he, he uses almost the exact description talking about Sri Ramakrishna. Right, if Ra- if adultery is sinful, how could that sin make Ramakrishna? Can sin be get holiness? Can a bad tree can a good tree give bad fruit, or whatever, or can a bad tree give good fruit? You know, to use that metaphor. Right, so it's not uh, he's challenging. It. Superstition is a great enemy of man, but bigotry is worse. Why does a Christian go to church? Why is a cross holy? Why is a face turned toward the sky in prayer? Why are there so many images in the Catholic Church? Why are there so many images in the mind of a Protestant when they pray? My brethren, we, do not, we can no more think about anything without a mental image than we can live without breathing. Thinking means images. Images and words, right? By the law of association, and the material images calls up the mental image the mental idea, and vice versa. This is why the Hindus use the external symbol when he worships. He will tell you that it helps to keep his mind fixed on the being to whom he prays. He knows all as well it does not that the image is not God. It is not omnipresent. After all, how much does omnipresence mean to most of the world? It stands merely as a word, as a symbol. Even the word omnipresent is only a word. We don't know, what does "only present" mean. The idea of something existing everywhere. We, there's no there's no example of it. So what do you do? You come up. You come, even the Im, even the idea, the abstract idea, is an image. But in order to think of that image, we immediately think of another image, like. Everywhere you go, there's air. In air. the attic, air. underneath air. the house, yeah, that's about, that's about the, or the, the ocean, ocean. And the mountains, ocean, the sky, the the, the the infinite sky. The sky is not infinite a convenient symbol for, a, for an for idea that's another convenient symbol for something we don't understand. We have a word infinite for something we've never experienced. So that word does not show our, our knowledge of the subject. It shows our extreme limit, our way of thinking about something we don't we've never experienced. Right? So it's it's also a, a it's, an, it's an idol, a mental idol. The idea is a mental idol, and then to think of that we create another mental idol, right? An actual image. Right? This is the, the point. It's a very interesting point how even the idea like we like, oh God is formless. Or God is impersonal. You know, even those that that term is something we don't experience. Do you think the word idol comes from idea? I'm not sure. Right, ideal. I'm not sure. Can look that up. That's a good topic. Might. This is why the Hindu uses. Oh, sorry. uh, After all, how much does omnipresence mean to the most in the world? It stands merely as a word, a symbol. Has God superficial area? You know, that, that's right. interesting. Even the uh, even the metaphor of all-pervading idea that is is an area, a spread-out area. Does that even make sense to use that type of language to infinite consciousness or infinite work to God? You know. So even that, he's like, the God have a spread-out area, right? Even if if we if if we do not admit that, still we have to repeat the word. I'm sorry. Uh, um, uh, it stands. Uh, Has God's superficial error? Even if we do not admit that, still we have to repeat the word omnipresence. When When we repeat the word omnipresence, we think of the extended sky or of space. That is all. If we find that somehow or other, by the law of our mental constitution, we have to associate our ideas of infinity with the image of the blue sky or sea. So we naturally connect our idea of holiness with the image of a church. A mosque or a cross, the Hindus have associated the ideas of holiness, purity, truth, omnipresence, and other such ideas with different images and forms, but with these differences, with, but with this difference, that while some people devote their whole lives to their idol of a church and never rise higher, because with them religion means the, intell- the intellectual ascent of a certain doctrine and doing good to their fellow beings. The whole of religion of the Hindus is centered on realization. It's not just on accepting something. Man is to become divine by realizing the divine Idols or temples or churches or books are only such, only supports the helps of the spiritual in this, of, this, of his spiritual childhood. but on and on he must progress. He must not stop anywhere. External worship, material worship says the Hindu scripture is the lowest stage, struggling to rise higher through mental prayer. Is the next stage, but the highest stage is when the Lord has been realized. It says actually this is quoting a verse. It says external puja is the lowest stage, right? Above that is prayer. Above that is japa. Above that is meditation. Above that is realization, right? So that's an easy thing to say. So, but it's not meant as a criticism. Like, what do you do? Are you Oh, that's not the highest thing. Meditation is <laughs> higher. Mm-hmm right you know it's like oh you know it's like it's, as people do like that so we quote this one time in the berkeley vedanta center right it was on a, a puja day of some sort i mean Ramakrishna's puja holy mother's puja and there was an old timer vedantas who are, whose name i shall never mention in public <laughs> he's not on my uh, but anyways he he he, he made some comments it's like he made some comment that oh but yeah even even swamiji said that this puja stuff we're doing this is as uh, we're getting ready for puja, puja stuff. <laughs> this puja is a lower stage right and he's right; it is a lower stage. I, I mean, I'm not, strongly what you said, even Sirama, pretend The scriptures say it's a lower stage. but it's a stage that he, I happen to know personally, hadn't gone through yet, right? You know, so he's, he's he's like it's a lower stage. But the stage of thinking, oh my God, these people are on lower stages, is also a pretty low stage in, in religious conception, <laughs> yeah. right? You know, it's like it's a stage; it's it's a stage where we're still we're still, we're going stage by stage. We need mental, you know. So we know the power of puja. Today we had a puja, and we're still buzzing from the puja, right? It's a stage we're very much uh, in the middle of, right? Uh, and and we're hoping that through, uh, our mind cannot always be in perfect meditation, right? When it's not, so it's, a, it's stage by stage is the process, right? It's not, but we don't criticize a lower stage. A lower stage is, it's, he says, it's our spiritual childhood. We go, we grow up. You don't criticize. it. What are you twelve? That's <laughs> totally not as good as sixteen. Mm-hmm. Right, the scriptures are very clear. Sixteen is way better than twelve. old. Sixteen is more mature than twelve. Right, you feel bad about yourself because you're only twelve. Right, you don't think no. Eventually, a twelve-year-old will become by itself without doing anything. A sixteen-year-old, you're realizing the painful fact that your your kid grows up. <laughs> you know, this is what happens. This is what this is what definitely what happens. Stuart pages, I gotta I to read real quickly. I want to finish there where we we, we we can say we we fully understood. Full Hinduism was on Vivekananda in one, on his birthday. So, <clears throat> uh, uh. Mark that the same earnest man who is kneeling before the idol tells you him the sun cannot express nor the moon or the star the lightning cannot express him nor what to speak of fire through him they shine but he does not abuse anyone's idol and call, it, call its worship sin. Hinduism will describe its deity as a a creator and destroyer of everything, the unlimited being, right? And it doesn't doesn't turn to somebody else. Oh, you have worshiped nothing different. one? of course, it still does happen, but it's that. Yours is sin. You think of God this way it's sin. To think of this God is supreme, right? He says this is not a quality, shouldn't be a quality, of Hinduism. He recognizes in it a necessary stage of life, the child of the father of the man. Would it be right for an old man to say that childhood is a sin, or use a sin? I guess the same exact. Thing. I can't get the same point. If a man can realize his divine nature with the help of an image, would it be right to call that a sin, or even if he is past that stage, would he call it an error? To tell him, to tell the to the Hindu man is not traveling from error to truth, but from truth to truth. From lower truth to higher truth. This is the major point to some of Sama Vivekananda. He repeats this many times. We don't... usually we think you're in error and you accept the truth. where you have wrong belief and you accept the proper belief. The truth. I mean, there's books called The Truth. They're usually written capital letters, right? The Truth, right? right. That's not... No, you go from, from truth to truth. From lower truth to higher truth. Or from less understood truth to higher... to better understood truth. Right? From unrealized truth to realized truth. Right. The other day, Igor was asking, you know, these things that we were thinking about so many twenty years ago. Do you, you still agree with them? we were talking about. We began to talk about this y- yesterday. He says, "Yeah, it's, it's no that we base we've staked our life on these things, these statements like that." But my understanding thirty years ago of them is different than the, it now is different than what thirty years ago. Right. But I'm not to think that was wrong. No, those statements were true. I didn't realize mm-hmm. how true they were yet. Right. I hoped they were true back then, and now I'm slowly realizing that they're. That, Wow, they're really true, but not the way I thought. Mm-hmm. Right? You mature into it. You go from higher truth, from truth to truth, or lower truth, or however, you, this idea, but not from error to truth. That's the, the mistaken mm-hmm. view. Here's a big Swami Vivekananda that repeats this many places. To him, uh, to him, all religions, from the lowest fetishism, fetishism to the highest absolutism, mean so many attempts of the human soul to grasp the infinite and realize the infinite each determined by its conditions of its birth and association, and each of these marks a stage of progress of every soul. And every soul is a young eagle soaring higher and higher, gathering more and more strength till it reaches the glorious sun. Unity in variety is the plan of nature, and the Hindu has recognized it. Every other religion lays down certain fixed dogmas and tries to force society to adopt, to adopt them, It places before society only one coat, which must fit Jack and John and Henry and all alike. If it does not fit John or Henry, he must go without a coat to cover his body. The Hindus have discovered that the Absolute can only be realized or thought of or stated through the Relative, and that the Images, Crosses and Crescents are simply so many symbols, so many pegs to hang his spiritual ideas on. It is, not, it is not that this help is necessary for everyone but those who do not need it have no right to say that it is wrong mm-hmm. nor is it compulsory on, in Hinduism One thing I must tell you Adultery in India does not mean anything horrible It is not the mother of harlots That's actually a direct line from a biblical verse <laughs> Adultery, the mother of harlots oh, Right? God. You didn't accept this On the contrary it is the attempt of undeveloped mind to grasp high spiritual truths the Hindus have their faults they sometimes have their exceptions but mark this they have always they have always for punishing they have they are always for punishing their own bodies and never for cutting the throats of their neighbors you can criticize you see this is the thing that at that time the preacher isn't like that looking in the, the, the mystical mysterious and dark unregenerated East you, you people torturing their bodies, and like they, they may torture their bodies, they may cut their own bodies in mortification, but they don't slit other people's throats. This is a, a nice rhetorical thing in, in this right. paragraph. Right? They are always for punishing their own bodies, never for cutting the throats of their neighbors. If the Hindu f- fanatic burns himself on the pyre, that's a big thing, there's people are jumping on the, the view of the Sati, jumping on the pyre, being pushed into pyres. He has never lit the fire of inquisition. Interesting that even that if that's wrong, like maybe that there's counts. mistakes. But the mistakes are in their family, not go and, and you know, that the very I, I this was when I first read this years ago, it's like, oh my god, what a what a image, you know. They they punish themselves, they don't cut a people's throat. They may if they jump into their own pyre or push somebody into the pyre, they're not lighting the fires of Inquisition. How many tens of thousands of people were tortured? Right? And even his self and even his self emulation cannot be laid at the door of of his religion any more than the burning of witches can at the door of Christianity so it's not even real Hinduism that's not you can't blame the fact Hindus do stupid things is not the fault of Hinduism Christians do stupid things that's nowhere in the Bible also right so it's not it's very nice point right to the Hindu then the whole world of religion is one of traveling a coming up of different men and women through various conditions and circumstances to the same goal every religion is only the evolving of God of, of a God out of the material man, and the same God is the inspirer of, of all of them. Why then the material man, the same God is the, I'm sorry, why then are there so many contradictions? They are only apparent, says the Hindu. The contradictions come from the same truth adapting itself to the various circumstances of de- different natures. This is a clear presentation of the perennial philosophy. It is the same light coming through glasses of different colors. And those little variations are necessary for the purpose of adaptation. But in the heart of everything, the same truth reigns. The Lord has declared to the Hindus in his incarnation as Sri Krishna I am in every religion like the thread through a string of pearls. Whatever thou seest, extraordinary holiness and extraordinary power, raising and purifying humanity, know thou that I am there. This is a paraphrase of the Gita. And what has been the result? I challenge the world to find throughout the whole system of Sanskrit philosophy any such expression as that the Hindu alone will be saved and not others. Hmm. Says Vyasa, we find perfect men also beyond the pale of our caste and creed. One more thing. How then can Hindu who can the Hindu whose whole fabric of thought centers on God believe in Buddha, in Buddhism, who is agnostic, or in Jainism, which is atheistic the buddhists and the jains do not depend upon god but the whole force of their religion is directed to the great central truth of every religion to evolve a god out of man they have not seen the father but they have seen the son and that and he has seen the son has seen the father also you've seen they, they have perfect saints All right that's the proof of god they have their beautiful you play on, the, on the, Jesus' word. This, brethren, is a short sketch of the religion of the Hindus, religious ideas of the Hindus. The Hindus may have failed to carry out all of his plans. But if there ever has been a universal religion, it must be one which will have no location and place in place and time, which will be infinite like the God it will preach, and whose sun will shine upon the followers of Krishna and of Christ on saints and sinners alike, which will not be rabbinical or Buddhist, Christian or Mohammedan, but the sum total of all these, and still make infinite space for development, which which in its catholicity will embrace in its infinite arms and find a place for every human being, from the lowest groveling savage, not far removed from the brute, to the highest man towering by the virtue of his head and heart, almost above humanity, making society stand in awe of him and doubt his human nature. It will, it will be a religion which have no place for the persecution or intolerance in its policy and will recognize divinity in every man and woman and whose whole scope, whose whole force will be centered on aiding humanity to realize its own true divine nature. Offers Offer such a religion and all the nations will follow you. Ashok Ashok's council was a council of the Buddhist faith. Akbar, through more threw more to the purpose, it was only a parlor meeting, a parlor meeting. It was reserved for America to proclaim to all quarters the globe that the Lord is in every religion. He's now he's glorifying the parliament. He says Akbar had his meetings and, and, and Ashok his meeting, but now look look at this august meeting and he's like this is the message he's he was usurping the message of the of the of the of the um the point the count the, the parliament of religion was not meant to show all religions correct right it was actually to show that all the religions of christianity were false that was the agenda of the of the parliament right it's, it's, but Swami Vivekananda because people, when people would see the, stupid, the stupidity of other religions, Christianity, people would be very proud of their Western Christianity. Right. The center of the, part, the, center of the, the, the world fair, right, the way it was structured, if you've known about the world fair, it was this, it was, it's called the Great White Way. Right? Mm-hmm. Nothing politi- potentially politically incorrect about the term <laughs> the Great White Way. And it had a pathway through the entire center of the, of, of, of the, of the world's fair. Right? And it started with the full development of humanity. From Black Africans, and they had they had, tri- they had displays and like that, and then further into into the Asians, and then to the Indians, and then to the Ethiopia, you know, step by step, and finally to the Europeans, the French and the English, and the English were very high, and finally to America, and a, yes. and a piece, the <laughs> glorious foundation, the glorious thing was America in Chicago in 1893. Yeah. Right. That, was, that was the agenda, of the, that was the theme of the Parliament. The Great White Way was the theme of the, of the, of the, of the World's Fair. And it was also the theme, unspoken theme, of the organizers of the Parliament of Religions. Right. So, and they all came and spoke like that, but Swami Vivekananda of gave a very good shape, And so there was another Parliament in, mm-hmm. in England, I think in England, or in France, right, where Swamiji was also invited. But they forbade him to speak they gave him not to speak about Hinduism. He had to speak in very specific terms so that he couldn't declare the, the unity of all religions. Because that wasn't the purpose. right? He, it was, he had to give talks on the history of Hinduism. Or the history of Buddhist thought in Southeast Asia. He was giving these type of speakers. he was trying desperately. In his letter he says, ah, they're trying to thwart my freedom. Right? They're scared of what I'm going to say. Because he completely derailed. By this talk and other talks he completely derailed the, the thing. Each one was Christianity was saying, and all the, the Buddhists were there, and then the, and then the other, other Hindus that were there, they're all basically saying, "My religion's true, and this is what we believe." And the, uh, My religion's true, and then the, "Our religion is true," we believe, right? And people and and, and the Western crowd, like, oh, this is ridiculous you know. But now we now, it was meant to show the supremacy of Christianity, so Samadhi showed Hinduism and then blew the top off. Right. This what what this meeting will do will show the unity of all religion. How that the one the, all of us here are worshippers of the same God. All of you are searching for the same reality. Right. This is a very. This is, he was. That's why he was such a controversial figure. the The effect of this talk and these talks propelled Swamiji onto the national, gave him instant fame. Right. He became the star of the parliament. Right. And that that propelled him into the public sphere, and therefore into onto the, the American uh, lecture circuit, intellectual circuit. And therefore onto the into the world stage. Right? So this this simple, these simple statements, the, re, the results of it were like truly cosmic, as, as, a, as the carrier uh, carry of Sri Ramakrishna's ultimate message. May, uh, may he who is a, he who is the Brahman, this is how he ends it. May he who is the Brahman of the Hindus. The Ahur Mazda of the Zoroastrians, the Buddha of the Buddhists, the Jehovah of the Jews, the Father in Heaven of the christians give strains to you to carry out your noble idea, rather than fight. Cause you know what? He, I have to tell one of my thing. I'm late on Puja, but it's too important on Sunday. of is on Vivekananda's birthday, that's why we're reading from Important, right? Uh, uh, one of his talks. If you read the next talk, I think, right? It was like his opening thing is that like, I today the to, the topic I was given. Was what's, uh, was what's wrong with Buddhism, right? <laughs> his topic was, now Swami Vivekananda, the representative Hinduism will criticize Buddhism. That, they were trying to create, the, that that was their goal, right? He says, how can I criticize the one I worship as God? Mm-hmm. And he completely changed. He gave a few, not without uh, differences, he pointed out some differences, right? But you know, even, his op- he, even the, the, the topics, you can see, they were not happy with his talk <laughs> and they began to give him topics that you know trying to control him I know you criticize this and what's wrong with Christianity and what's wrong you know trying to create but he here he's like the one who's who's the Father in heaven the one who's Allah the one who's ourmos Mazda, may he may they give us strains to carry on our mission our mission to spread religion to spread divinity you know he was he was pulling everybody together he usurped the Parliament of religion became the parliament of, of the uh, 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 of a uh, religious dialogue or something like that the universality of religion it was very different give strength to you to carry out your noble ideals the star rose in the east it traveled steadily towards the west sometimes dim and sometimes effulgent till it came a circuit of the world and now it is again rising in the very horizon of the east the the borders of the Sanpo, a threshold from a, a thresh a, a, a thousandfold more effulgent Than it ever was before Hail Columbia This is America right Hail Columbia Motherland of liberty It has been given to thee Who never dipped thy hand in thy neighbor's blood Maybe it's changed since then Who never found out That the shortest way of becoming rich Was by robbing one's neighbor It has been given to thee to march In the vanguard of civilization with a flag of harmony That last statement was kind of interesting But That was a different time Right, mm-hmm. it was its self understanding mm-hmm. of, of of America, but it was it was based on that, that that's how that's the great white way. Showed the, what what it, what makes us what makes us the top of the culture? Mm-hmm. Look at how great we are. We're free, right? be because he played on that. If you're mm-hmm. free, he played on be it. free. He just played on that. If right. you're free, preach freedom. Right, right. Make He's everyone free. Everyone together. You know that's yeah. it. You know, like he left his body willingly on Fourth of July, right? You know, it's like he chose that day for a reason. Right. He he, he, he looked it up. And he had a we know he had a marker on, on the almanac on that day. But he chose it beforehand, And we know he had a boon from Lord Shiva, from, from Lord Amarnath, uh, Mahadev and Amarnath, that he could choose the moment of his death. He chose that day for a reason. He wrote a poem, Ode to the Fourth of July, <coughs> for a reason. Right? He was, it was he, uh, his favorite. His first trip to America, he was so happy with America. The freedom, the, the, the intellectual freedom, the energy, the, the relative freedom of women compared to India and the earth of the world. He was so, then he went his second trip to America, he, le- he left very disappointed. Because, like all of us, like we said, oh, we're free. I mean, we're I, you know, you hear one, one or two big statements of Your, your chest swells. It's easy to feel the political, the idealism of America, right? But when you look too, too deep into it, it's more. It's maybe it's not what it seems, and maybe we're fooling ourselves. Maybe we're lying to others. You know, maybe our hands are bloodier than than we like to say in our patriotic songs. You know. So he came back, and he was he was a little more. It seems to be considerably more disappointed, with what he thought would be you know it's like we're free but we're not really free or we're free materially relatively but we're not any freer spiritually right you know but, but the freedom materially is comes from the same place where our love for material freedom whatever that means and and her, it comes from the same place of desire for spiritual freedom we need to we shouldn't be satisfied with just being not, we have free we have you know freedom of lots of stuff perhaps right but we don't have freedom Right that's the thing right so uh, uh, um, there's a term that uh, 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 uh birds are birds are really free, but they're so prisoners of the sky they can they're still in a cage called the sky they're not they can't go beyond the sky right you, you know we we're free to do a lot of stuff, but that is that freedom freedom, like Sarma Khan said, freedom of the senses is not the same as freedom from the senses, mm. right it's a very big difference right we're free we can do anything we can do. do Real, practically speaking, within certain v- slight le- legal differences, we have we we have a lot of freedom in this country. You know, you can almost do anything you want, almost right. Like if, if like if you want a new car, you can get a new car. Namely, you can you can lease it. You can put it on credit. You know, it's like you can if you want, you know. You can, you know, you can you can go to school. I mean, that are, you within limits of your ability, and so, there's some social restrictions like that. But most of the world, if you want a new car, there's nothing you can do to get a new car, right? You know, if if you want to go to school, you can never go to school. That's not, it's not it's, it. It can, it can it may never be an option. So we have a lot of those type sort of freedom. But what we with our freedom is just enjoy, what well, it was it's, you get the product comfortable samsara. A lot of channels right? on TV. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. We have freedom. We have a thousand channels of cable now <laughs> on TV. Awesome. True freedom, right? Yeah. In the olden days, the prehistoric days, before, th- before thirteen. we were given freedom, we had we had thirteen channels, right? <laughs> and three of them were PBS, and those are horrible, you know. <laughs> so this is now we have freedom. So we, you know, so that's that's the thing we have. Uh, we have freedom. We have freedom within samsara, but we don't have freedom from samsara. Right, it's a different freedom. So th- sorry for your. Uh, thank you for your kind attention, and sorry for going a little bit over. Uh, uh, Sami Vivekananda's um, uh, uh, this talk, we could have. Pulled and pulled and pulled and pulled, and also if you if you imagine him speaking it, it's so beautiful. I don't have the cadence, and you hear if you ever hear like old recordings of Gandhi giving talks in English. There's an old style yoga. Mm-hmm. There there's a there's a rhythm that was very different. The way mm-hmm. people talked, you know their in the 20s, yeah, yeah. At like, the time. You know, it's like we are aware of the great portion of our life must be necessary. F-, you know, like he, mm-hmm. you know, there's who knows how we, we I haven't heard. You know, there's mm-hmm. some recordings of things similar. Right, uh, appropriate to the time, right? But it's, 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 it's and, 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 uh, some Kusra Issowicz had said his words shouldn't be read, they should be spoken, because they were spoken. You want to get, you got to hear them. I, I spent I, in the morning, I'd sit there and I'd write and read them, but something you don't get, them, you have to like, you have to say them out or hear them out loud, and at least in your ear, right, to get the rhythm that are spoken words, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and he would, he'd also pound on, Podiums and and mm. shake people and you know and people and his words were upsetting to people, mm. right? we we have a we have a positive audience. You guys are being very polite, right? And I'm still talking. Every after I said I would stop talking, you're being really nice, right? <laughs> right. But at a certain point, he would say such outrageous things. These things are outrageous. Right? These were these are these are blasphemous things, right? People would get up and say, "Shut up!" There'd be ladies screaming in the audience, "Shut up! Sit down! Stop talking!" Right, you know, it's like in the middle of his talk. You know, it was so upsetting to him. Mm. Right, you know. Now we see this in rallies. You see the equivalent. It It has been going on a long time. <laughs> I think I need a pretty. Yes.